everyone. Welcome to episode number 84 of the Seed Struck Movie Podcast. Uh, my name is John. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Curtis. Hello. And our special recurring guests. We have first Katie. Hi. And Simon. Hey, hey. Cool. And uh, Quinn, I think, will be joining us as well, too. We'll seamlessly integrate him, so it'll it'll sound like he was here the whole time. You know, he was in the background. Editing magic. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, doing, you know, he was doing the bass, you know, he was in the background, you know, tinkering with everything. But yeah, he'll be he's joining us. He's on the synth, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, today's episode, uh, we're, the, the main topic we're going to be talking about, uh, of course, we're doing our Ridley Scott watch series. It's the next entry in the series, uh, the 1985 fantasy film Legend. Um, a film that uh, this this was actually my first time watching it. I know we have uh, Katie on, and Katie you had mentioned before, like this was like one of your this is either your favorite movie or like one of your all time favorites. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll be very excited to bring you on and like for all of us to talk about this movie. Um, you know, what, ge- ge- a general synopsis: a film about this like um, kind of falling into the classic fantasy tropes. This like beautiful bucolic natural world uh, taken over by this. Uh, evil force, the Lord of Darkness, who's sort of uh, taking over the li- the light, and uh, a young uh, Tom Cruise, a very young Tom Cruise, playing this like Jack of the Woods character, uh, along with his like merry band of elves, uh, kind of team up together to try to um, save the princess and also uh, turn back the darkness as taking over the world. So this movie, of course, wasn't really a huge uh, commercial success when it came out, although it did garner a lot of praise for its. Uh, uh, visual effects, some pretty beautiful looking costume work. And we'll talk about that when we get into it. But um, it's now become a lot more uh, acclaimed, I think, in the following years, because uh, this, of course, like a lot of the Ridley Scott films um, in the early aughts, got a pretty substantial director's cut. And it kind of brought in a lot of people who either weren't really fans of it during its original kind of run, um, especially in the United States, um, versus those who are now kind of coming back to it who've never seen it before. And so it's kind of garnered a lot of attention that way. So the film is now kind of like considered a little bit of a cult classic now um, amongst uh, film film goers. So excited to talk about that one, of course. Uh, but before we do, we'll we'll start off, I guess we could talk about um, newest additions to our watch list, stuff that we're looking to check out soon. So uh, Curtis, why don't I pass the baton over to you? You can... Uh, get us started yeah so i picked up the book uh daisy jones and the six i don't know if it's any good but it was recommended to me and i thought after i finished reading the book the first uh, edition is uh the tv show which just came out yeah. i think it has good reviews it's called uh, daisy jones and the six and it's a musical drama That's it's a cool. mini series and uh it's basically kind of aping on uh the, the real life story of uh, fleetwood mac because as we know like the rumors album was super successful but also uh, a super turbulent period for the band too so it kind of tries to recapture the uh LA music scene in the late 70s. Um, so I thought that might be kind of cool to check out. I'm a big fan of Riley Kyok, who's uh, also Elvis's granddaughter. Um, and I think she's great. Um, so I'm going to check that out. Um, I also was sent the movie uh, Fall, which came out in, last year, I think. And this yeah. is starring, um, it's directed by Scott Mann. And it's starring uh, Grace Caroline Curry, who's in the uh, Shazam, the uh, Marvel film. And it's about two women who climb a 2,000-foot uh, television broadcasting tower and become stranded at the top. So kind of cool concept. That also had pretty good reviews. So I thought I'd check those out. Uh, I'm a big... I didn't um, see that one too. Yeah, I'll send you a copy. Well, you probably have a copy too, I guess. I but <laughs> if you need a copy, yeah, I have one too. Um, and I also, I'm a big Jennifer Connelly fan, especially in the 90s. I love her and everything. 
And uh, I found it about this uh, Argentinian film called uh, that she's in called Of Love and Shadows. I think it came in like 1993 or so. And I don't know much about the film, but I thought, uh, you know, kind of complete her 90s filmography so I could check that out. And uh, the last thing on my uh, watch list. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I grew up watching the Power Rangers and they actually have a new Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie uh, coming out. It's called Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Once and Always. I think they have some recurring uh, characters, too. So it's kind of a reunion movie. But I actually yeah. heard that this was actually pretty good. Um, yeah, I think it just so came out, I, right? Like yesterday or something? I, I, yeah, I, I saw some reviews coming week. up. Yeah. Yeah. So um, kind of cool. It's like some of the original um, Power Rangers, the Blue Ranger. And then I think um, maybe the Black Ranger, too. And maybe I think Rita, the... Rita Repulsa's back as the original. Yeah, episode. she's back, too. <laughs> so the gang's kind of all here, too. I don't know how that works, because, I mean, it's so, like, set in the the kind of 90s, too. But um, I'm, I'm kind of keen to check it died. out. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, obviously, the, the character who played the Yellow Ranger, um, uh, who is Trina Kwan in the show, she died in real life, too. So actually... Uh, uh, her daughter on the show is is the new Yellow Ranger too. So oh, that's cool. uh, yeah, so I, I might I might check that out. So they kind of honor her memory, which is kind of nice. And obviously, it's a little bit I don't know, <laughs> it's still a little bit racist, you know, with the color kind of coordination. But like I mean, uh, you know, it it sounds pretty good. It's like a one hour special, I think. So kind of keen to see if they pull it off. But I yeah. might check that out. Uh, what about uh, you, Katie? What did you add to your watch list this week? Okay, so uh, I want to watch the unnameable which is like a 1980s adaptation of a lovecraft story of the same name okay. uh lots of practical effects uh very cheesy but i've heard it's worth a watch one of my co-workers was really pushing it so i, I told her i'd do it <laughs> and then i also want to watch nightbreed similarly dark mm. and cheesy it's based oh, yeah. on it's based on a Clive Barker novella called Cabal. Uh, Cabal. And it's I, I I've heard mixed things <laughs> about the film. I heard but... I heard you have to watch the uncut edition, like the director's cut. I heard that's the one to watch. If you can watch okay. the full edition. Yeah. <sighs> it was okay, a little bit too cheesy okay. for me, but I heard that's the one to watch. <laughs> I, I love Nightbreed. I've seen it many times. I think it's not the theater. Um check it yeah, check out both cuts. They're kind of both kind of different. Um, okay. The different different endings definitely. Um, they they what they did was they they like ten years later they they found they restored a bunch of footage and made a director's cut or not maybe even twenty years later it was sometime later they came across a bunch of footage and and then that, that's how the director's cut came about. Uh, I like the movie for its monsters and stuff. Uh, they do really yeah the makeup and the prosthetics. Um, yeah, fun movie. I, I I, I love practical effects, uh, and yeah. I think that might be why I like Legend so much. Oh, sure. Uh, so uh, I definitely want to watch that. And then finally, I am going to try oh. to watch Stalker, which is a oh, Soviet that's a great film. Movie. The try to watch is, is the key is the key words on stalker <laughs> it's well slow. <laughs> it's slow and also like whenever i try to like find it to stream it it always disappears so <laughs> i might i might have to I'm, i i might have to suck it up and purchase it but we'll see um but i think i think i can do it you know i made it through come and see so I think yeah. I can make it yeah. through Stalker. <laughs> can, then you yeah. can do anything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you can make it through Come and See, you're all set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's it. What about you, Simon? Um, On my t 
to watch list. I've got not a lot actually. I've been watching a lot of stuff. Um, UFO Sweden, something I picked up. Uh, <laughs> I think everything's in the title there for you. Yeah. It's Swedish. It's about UFOs. <laughs> I don't know much more beyond that. Let's see what else. Oh well, we, we've got. I mean, we got Guardians of the Galaxy three coming up in a couple days. Uh, we got a whole bunch of movies coming to the theaters. I might actually go to the theater. I haven't been to the theater since the last star wars this is pre-covid oh, wow yeah wow. yeah i want i want uh, to watch the new evil i want to watch evil dead rise but they didn't have it anywhere here so i oh I well, like, there's Damn that. <laughs> and also uh return of the king is coming back to theaters what? yeah that's right it's yeah 20th anniversary. anniversary wow might still be able to catch it this weekend but i think it's going to go away real quick i wish they did yeah. more stuff like that uh, that's all really on my my watch list. My my my, uh, my have watched list is much longer. But uh, Curtis, what's on your list? Oh, I, I gave my list already. But uh, <laughs> Simon, or, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, I'm John sorry, is, uh, John. John, John, yeah. No, Curtis, go again. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's more <laughs> from the top. Uh, yeah, I've got a few on my list. Uh, I got uh, this is a very weird one, but I, I was listening to a podcast and I heard some people talking about it. It's a exploitation film from the 70s uh, called if footmen tire you what will horses do so um this is by a director who is a noted exploitation filmmaker but was a devout christian and actually made a lot of these movies that were like christian exploitation style movies uh, this one is sort of a film warning america about what will happen if their citizens do not give up their depraved ways and turn to God and Jesus for salvation. So it's basically like birth of a nation, but about communism. Um, and I've actually heard it's, it's super nuts and, and, and people who've seen it are like, it's actually very good. So I want to check it out and see how twisted and weird it is. Another one on my list is um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the important cinema club podcast and they're uh, kind of champions uh, behind uh, Motor media and, and uh, notably like kind of the, uh, Matt Farley and Charles Roxburgh. They're kind of small town uh, D level filmmakers. Uh, I think they're from New England and they make a lot of these like uh, really kind of low budget um, mm -hmm. films, kind of using all their like friends and family and, and people in their town. But they've actually kind of got a good reputation. They they make like films that some people have said are, are pretty fun, pretty, pretty great. So um, one of these films is called Freaky Farley. And it's about uh, a local peeping Tom named Freaky Farley, who's embroiled in a tale of murder, monsters, ninjas, witches, angst, terror, insecurity, <laughs> and madness. So sounds pretty good. So I'm going to check it out. I think a lot, almost all of their films are all, like out of, on YouTube. So I, I might watch that one um, and then eventually get into some of the other ones. So, and my last one, I, I love my Seagal, even his later stuff. Cause it's just <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, so I want to watch code of honor, the 2016 film he did, you know, it's DTV, uh, Steven Seagal schlock. Very excited yeah. to see a very low effort. Steven Seagal. The, the, the rumors about his movies are they're just a uh, a way to launder money for the Russian mob. Oh yeah, <laughs> by watching this movie, I'm supporting. He can buy his probably. new. He, he buy his new sunglasses and moo with the proceeds. Because it, it's film. always it's always set <laughs> in some Eastern Bloc country, and. Yeah, it just makes too much sense. But my, my favorite is when he met Lushenko in, in Belarus, and like I can't remember what he gave him. He gave him like a plate of like broccoli or something. He's like, "This is a gift." And he looked—he's so stone-faced. And I like—I was like crying, laughing, watching. It's so funny. It's <laughs> somebody at work. So I work at a, work at a library. Somebody donated uh, one of his movies. I think it's called On Deadly Ground. Yeah. And oh, okay. And I, so what I, what I have to do is when somebody donates a DVD, I have to basically see if we have it in the system, see if anybody is going to watch it. 
And I look it up and it's nowhere in the library cooperative. Wow. Our whole county is like a cooperative. Nobody has it. And I look it up and I see the reviews are abysmal. And then I look it up <laughs> on WorldCat to see if any other libraries in the country who will who will like lend it for, through an interlibrary loan has a copy and nobody does. And I was like, wow, this is terrible. I'm going to add it. So it's it's now in our collection sitting proudly there and every what every once in a while i'll do like a dvd display of bad movies and i put that out it hasn't circulated yet but wow. maybe someday yeah that's the one I where standards, that's a classic so that's a good yeah. yeah yeah he is an oil fighter yeah oil he's fighter. fighting he's on the good and, side of that one you know yeah, he's, uh, he's on yeah. america's side he, he, beats there's up, a, there's a, he beats up guys in the bar for, yeah. for being mean to indians and stuff i, I really <laughs> liked like I mean, I'm not supposed to really have this view, but I just don't like Steven Seagal at all. So, like, when I watched Under Siege, I was, like, hoping that Tommy Lee Jones would actually, like, kill him in the movie. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> we, we, we all were that way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Quinn. Hey, guys. Sorry I'm hey. late. No, no, all good. Actually, right? good timing because we were hey, just hey. about to wrap our watch list edition. So, Quinn, you have one on your list. So, you've made it just in time. Okay, great. Yeah, so I added a movie called Nightmare from 1981. And it is about a mental patient uh, who embarks on a murder spree upon escaping from an institution. Looks terrible, which means I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those banned horror cult films. Uh, I just kind of came across it. I don't know if it's on Shudder. I'll have to find out where it's streaming. But uh, yeah, no, it looks looks kind of good. Like, uh, seems like sort of a gory, you know, hour and a half, 80s horror flick so yeah that's the only thing i have on my watch list for this week also to note it's on tubi that movie you're talking about so like all great movies oh, are yeah okay yeah i was gonna say all the uh, <laughs> yeah that's where uh, a lot of horror fans go it seems that's the true cinephile experience is tubi where i could see it five commercials about canadian milk i love it <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> canadian milk i i just see like uh hiv drug commercials yeah, your kid—you got an HIV epidemic or something. That's all you're there's getting. Like, like... There's, there's this black guy, and he's got this like really creepy long beard, like a wrestler's beard. Wow! And, and every time I see it, it creeps me out. Like it's like down to here, and it's just like this. And I'm like, oh, dude, your creepy beard. No, get out of here with that. And he's on like five commercials. Wow. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess then we can get into our uh, what we watched this week. We've all watched. Uh, quite a few things so um actually quinn I'll, I'll why don't you kick us off then so what did what did you watch this week okay sure yeah i watched a documentary series uh national geographic um called uh 9-11 one day in america it's a six episode series it came out in 2021 and it you know it it recounts the whole story of, of september 11th with with everything that went on and but it, it's also more to do with the uh the firefighters and the police and the uh, paramedics, but also the survivors, particularly from the North and South Tower from New York. I, it's it's a heavy hitter, man. I, I was choked up. It's very heavy. But just like just the details and how these people um, survived and everything and, and the stories about the lives that were lost was uh, it, it hit me pretty hard. So but besides that phenomenally made um docuseries so i definitely uh urge you to check that out what about uh what about you simon what'd you watch this week 
Uh, I got a lot of good stuff. So last night I was wicked drunk and I was I was about two a.m. I was watching, <laughs> I was watching Spice, watching Spice World. And, nice. Uh, so everybody, <laughs> who's, your favorite Spi- who's your favorite? Who's your favorite Spice Girl, Simon? I, I can't decide. I I think it's still. Baby. I like Scary Spice. I like Scary. Okay, Spice. Okay, right, we're gonna go around. I want to hear everybody's favorite Spice Girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I always loved Baby Spice when I was a kid, so I'll stick with yeah, her. Ba- baby, yeah. Uh, uh, Baby's the same for me. I, <laughs> I, was, I was a huge fan. Yeah, Katie? I always thought Sporty Spice was cool. Yes. There you go. There you go. Cool. Yeah. Well, after watching the movie, I, I, Scary Spice came off as the bitchy Spice, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, she's Scary Spice. She's from the <laughs> that's, that's the name. She's fierce. She's fierce. I mean, she was definitely the alpha of the group. She was, she was the, the, the Mo Howard of the, the five stooges. <laughs> I just I want to see a Spice Girls like three stooges like short when they're like just <laughs> right? uh, nailing like nails into his foot by accident or something. No, I want to see that. <laughs> All right. And then uh I watched uh It Man 3, which uh nice. kind of lost me in the middle, but man, there's it's so gorgeous and there's so many cool like alien creatures and weirdness uh, I, I i overall i enjoyed it a lot yeah. it's kind of a Pro- mixed bag. probably the last um, time you'll see jonathan majors yeah because <laughs> of his <laughs> uh recent uh events oh I don't, I don't know about him is it that oh, he, is, he, is he the, the black guy the, who he's a king guy? and uh yeah he's just he's had some uh, stuff go on allegations oh, and I such. See him in yeah news. And then I watched um, Quasi, which is uh, short for Quasimodo, which is the the newest uh, Broken Lizards movie. You know, oh. um, uh, Super Troopers, Beer Fest, those guys. Uh, it's on Hulu, and it's not very good. I mean, I'm a big fan of their stuff, but it's just oh, that not sucks. good. Yeah. Uh, another one, uh, Kids vs. Aliens. I think it's on Shudder, but uh, it was a lot of fun. It's very Stranger Things-ish. Um, with the you know synth music and kids against uh, you know bad bad monsters, uh, it's pretty violent. Kids get fucked up and killed at the end. Uh, I recommend it a lot. And then uh, lastly, this, this Italian movie called Land of the Suns, a Land of the Sun, I believe actually singular. Uh, it's a post-apocalyptic movie. It's fairly new. Uh, I don't want to ruin it too much, but uh, uh, check it out. It's Italian, uh, really well shot, low budget, but you wouldn't really see that on, on, in, in the quality of the movie there. So, um, uh, Katie, what, what's uh, what's on your list there? Okay, so what I watched in the past week, I started watching that new documentary on Netflix about the boston bombing the boston marathon bombing uh i started it didn't get to finish it but uh i also watched um it's on amazon prime it's a show called from and it's kind of like a sci-fi horror thing the whole idea is these people end up in this town and the town is somewhere nobody knows where it is they all get there from different locations and they can't leave the town and this town is inhabited by monsters that kill you at night. And so you, they all have to stay inside at night. And they're all trying to find a way to get out. So I watched the first season. Uh, the second season starts today, actually. And I enjoyed it. I'll see if it continues to hold my interest. And then I watched the most enraging movie ever. I w- it was... <laughs> 
uh, it's called Aftermath. It's a cheesy horror film that I found on Netflix. And it's one of those husband and wife with a troubled, mar- troubled marriage. Uh, they move into a new house for a change of scene. The house has a dark past because people were murdered in it, but they get a sweet discount. And then it goes into the trope of the wife starts seeing things and her husband doesn't believe her. And is like, huh, yeah, it's silly, like, silly neurotic woman. And take your medication. I have to go to work now and yeah, know, pretty not be much. in this house for 10 hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, well, we can't leave this house, even though traumatizing things have happened to you in it. <laughs> All of our money is in this house. Yeah. And then they stay there. And the twist is, I mean, it, it's stupid because it makes no sense. It's full of so many plot holes. I could ramble about it for about 45 minutes. Actually, I think I think one of my friends was subjected to me ranting about it for 45 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> so that's what I watched. Cool. Uh, what did you watch uh, this week, John? Yeah, I, I watched uh, I watched a few things. Um, uh, also on the shitty Netflix movies front, I watched a uh, movie. I think it actually was filmed or was it was supposed to come out in 2016 and got delayed it's by uh stefan rose rosewitzki who does like a bunch of low budget kind of movies this one's called patient zero uh we only actually threw it on mm-hmm. to kill some time before we went out on friday but uh yeah this one's about like a global pandemic where you know people have turned into like the zombies and it's just like it has, it's just kind of like a day of the dead kind of riff where it's like this underground bunker where all this military group is they're doing like experiments uh Matt Smith's in it. He's someone who kind of like Last of Us. He's been bitten, but he's like hasn't been infected. Um, what it actually gives them is the power to communicate with these kind of zombie monsters, and uh, they're kind of like rage zombies, so something like out of like a Twenty Eight Days Later. And he talks to them, and he finds out, of course, that they're planning to come here. They they know who he is. They're actually quite intelligent. And they're like planning to storm this base, and uh, it's a weird cast. Matt Smith's in it with an American accent for some reason. But then Natalie Dormer's in it with her normal accent. So I'm like, why didn't he just have his normal oh, accent? Very made more sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's uh it's pretty it's pretty low budget because it's all it looks like it's all filmed in like an Amazon warehouse. Like there, there's no like there's only like the same four set sets. Um, but it, it's actually kind of fun. Um it's really great that uh uh Stanley Tucci shows up and he he's playing this like super smart uh monster who's like the kingpin of all of them and it's any any movie where i see tucci gang i'm i'm pretty happy about so he's pretty great in it so um yeah not a good movie by any means but uh, a good way to kill uh, if you want to kill 90 minutes before you go out for drinks then definitely throw on uh, patient zero <laughs> Um, other stuff I watched, I'm a huge Ishiro Honda fan, of course, and on the Criterion channel, uh, they have this uh, collection going on of, I think, most of his uh, big kaiju films that he directed, uh, not just the um, the Godzilla ones, but also um, some of the lesser known ones that he did. Like, uh, of course, uh, my my most most Godzilla fans experience with Rodan is from um, his movies like the uh, Bruschidera movie or Stroyal Monsters, where he's kind of a lovable goof like Rodan's this like silly pterodactyl who just flies around seemingly in super slow motion like he's not a very fast flying pterodactyl um, <laughs> that's basically his only power he just flies around he's kind of a goof um but I really enjoyed watching this was my first time watching it the original Rodan movie from 19 uh I believe 1956 uh, notably the first uh kaiju film in color which I mean god the color does so much heavy lifting in these movies like if you're trying to watch I mean the first Godzilla is a, a classic amazing movie but Godzilla raids again um one of the worst ones um personally but uh <laughs> Rodan is it looks beautiful and it's actually a very interesting film because it's much more in tone to the first Godzilla movie where 
you know, this strange phenomenon is happening. Like there's this local mining community and they all of a sudden get terrorized by like giant insects that come out of the earth. And it's like, they're killing people. It's very disturbing. But we find out um, as you watch the film. And of course, as the title suggests, this is actually a red herring. These are actually insects that are being eaten by Rodan, who's kind of also emerged. And um, the way they shoot Rodan is really cool. Like he's, he's like flying like supersonic speed. He's getting chased by jets. Like he looks 30 times faster than he does in any of the other Godzilla movies. It's quite, quite incredible. And there's some really great uh, destruction later in the film when uh, Rodan's really going buck wild and whole cities are getting blown up. It's really, really great movie. I think it's a if you're someone who's watched the Godzillas but wants to get into some of the other kaiju stuff that's not really the main Godzilla film, I'd say uh, Rodan's a really great one. And also Mothra, the first Mothra movie, is also pretty good as well, too. But uh, yeah, I had a great great time with it. Gonna Wait, have to watch I, I, I really liked, I liked the one versus Gigan, too. I mean, it's kind of horribly cheesy, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the giant uh, Frankenstein movie or whatever. Were the like, gargantuans. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't wait to watch that one again. So uh, that'll be on my list. So uh, other stuff I watched, I, I've been catching up to watch Creed three. So I watched, uh, I previously watched the first Creed, which a phenomenal movie, and just rewatched Creed two. Creed two is, it's an okay movie. I think it's got some issues. The movie is way too long. It's so long. It's so um, overwrought. Um, it doesn't look quite as good as the first Creed. Like you see, the first Creed is how well shot it is. Uh, Ryan Coogler really gives it with it and like makes it feel like such a Philly movie. Creed two. A lot of it is just a lot of heavy like kind of monologues and it's it's pretty slow and they kind of really like speed over the opening of the movie which is like create actually winning the like heavyweight championship and it's kind of like it kind of works thematically in the movie because it's the idea of you know you've achieved greatness but you still don't feel great and it's him kind of being like yeah i did it and it's kind of anticlimactic which i, I think that it, it, it doesn't make sense but it, it kind of, it feels awkward, especially if you just watched the first Creed. You're like, wow, this should be like his crowning glory, and he's just like kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's it's very odd, but I, it does it does look qu- quite good. It's a lot of some really great scenes, and I really love the Drago subplot with it with uh with Ivan and Victor. I wish that had actually been more the focus of the movie. It's the most entertaining part of the movie, um, the whole dynamic between them, and it's there's not much to it. Like we only see a few scenes of them, but it's it's, it's really fun, uh, really good, really good fighting in it as well too. So I mean, is it better than Rocky Five? Yeah, I would definitely say so, but um, I, I would probably maybe put at the same level or below Rocky Four and Three. So it's it's good in the overall series. I actually think Stallone is really good in this one. I, I think he's he's kind of saves the. The ape plot of it because he's really he's really relatable and fun i mean adonis and this is kind of a dick at times and he's you know uh stallone is kind of dealing with his you know issues and also his estra- continued estrangement from his family he's actually quite it's actually quite fun watching him in this um but i know he's not in the new creed 3 so i'm excited to kind of check that one out i've been hearing um some pretty great buzz about that so i want to want to get to that one uh, of course that one's directed by michael b jordan who plays uh, adonis creed in this one so um, we'll check that one out soon um just to wrap things up uh you you have a video game on your list curtis i've also been playing a few games me and my wife have been looking for some fun co-op games. We were big fans of the video game Overcooked, the first one and the second one. A really great test of your marriage if you play those. If you can get through that without wanting to kill your partner or divorce them, then you're, you're set for life, baby. So um, 
there's one that also came out recently, which is very kind of similar um, premise. However, this one involves moving objects. It's called Moving Out. And it is such a blast. I actually like this one more than Overcooked because you have to, with your partner, you're kind of working at this moving company and you go around the map. It's like much like Overcooked. It's like a little map that you like move your guy around and um, you go to different houses, buildings, and each one requires you to move out objects. Some of them are pretty basic, like you have a moving van and a house. Some of them get a little bit more elaborate, like you're in a warehouse with like conveyor belts and it's very, it can get very deep, kind of not unlike, again, like overcooked where, you know, there's different levels of switches and stuff. Um, but the premise is super fun. You're moving small objects, bigger objects, which require you to work with a partner and throw objects. It's it's super fun. Um, there's also different kind of modes you unlock. So you can unlock like a moving in mode, which is like you're taking all the objects that you had previously moved and moving back in. And it's kind of fun to see how much it actually changes the feel of the game and kind of the order of which you you move stuff in. And there's also little objectives too. So there's a lot of replayability and really fun. So we've been really enjoying it. And I think there's a bunch of uh, like DLC or expansion packs with it too that unlocks new stuff. So I'll probably get to that eventually. Um, uh, last one I watched, um, went to the uh, buy town for the uh, monthly drunken cinema events. Um, this one was for the movie, uh, the live action Scooby-Doo movie from 2002. And uh, I, I, I was, I was blown away. Like they did not expect it to be a total sellout, and it was. There was over 450 people there, the busiest I've ever seen that theater in, in God, five, six years. It was packed, packed, packed. Uh, the beer line was like going all the way to the stage. It was insane. Uh, but once everyone got settled, it took like a half an hour for the movie to start because again, it was so busy. But uh, the movie's actually super fun. I hadn't seen God's, uh, sorry, I hadn't seen Scooby Doo uh, since like it first came out. I think so. It had been quite some time. Um, but it's a really funny movie. Great cast, you know, Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, Matt Lillard is the ultimate Shaggy in it. Like he's such great casting, um, and it's really, <laughs> it's really kind of funny. Like uh, there's a great scene I love where like Scooby Doo and Shaggy, like you see the uh, wagon and you see like the smoke coming out of it, and it pans down to them like making burgers in the in the van. It's so funny. Uh, <laughs> there's some really great jokes in it. It's um, actually the effect, the effects I think have aged actually very very well for a movie from god like 20 years ago that relies like so much on cgi for scooby-doo and all that the I, I i was saying this on i think on twitter to someone but like some of the early aughts cgi because it's so bad like it's so like uh, it's like ps2 graphics it actually has some appeal <laughs> to it aesthetically like it kind of looks cool now you know back in the day we were like oh this looks so stupid it's gonna age bad and now it actually kind of looks <laughs> fun it looks like a an animated movie like a roger rabbit or something it has like a charm to it uh, that I actually like. And I think Scooby-Doo kind of works like that because it's so kind of colorful and um, goofy. So how do, and it was fun watching it with a bunch of drunk people in the crowd. We were all laughing. And I did get a kick because uh, the first scene where you see Scrappy-Doo, um, I guess the audience was mostly kids who like probably grew up with the movie, but like don't know the greater lore. So everyone was like clapping. <laughs> and I was like, boo! And I like given the middle finger, I like stood up and was like, boo! And I got to, I turned the crowd around against Scrappy-Doo. So I really was happy about that because I hate that little guy. So um, yeah, that was, I think <laughs> that was it John. on my list. Yeah, fuck Scrappy-Doo. Uh, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's it on my list, ending with that. Uh, Ernest, why don't you uh, talk about what you watched? <laughs> yes, I didn't watch too much this week too. So I added a couple video games to my list. So um I played the last couple of weeks uh, this game called Broforce, <laughs> and it's it's so much fun. It's kind of like a oh, yeah. top-down shooter, and you play like all these kind of '80s action hero icons. I don't know how they got away with the copyrights for it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much close. fun. Some of them are like pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like basically well, it's like Rambo and you know Rambo, you yeah, Robo, Ro Ro RoboCop. Yeah, they're all bro themed. Yeah, it's like Ellen Rip Bro. It's like Ellen Ripley. I'm like that's like Ellen the edge of Ellen <laughs> 
Should <laughs> also yeah, note, so Curtis, to... there's an expansion pack coming out soon. I think like a new oh, chapter. Oh, it's supposed wow. to come out very soon. I think it's like a Bro Forest Forever with new characters, new levels. So, well, I had so much fun with it. I, I blazed oh, yeah. through it. It wasn't too expensive. I think it was like under twenty bucks. And uh, I mean, if anyone wants to do the co-op sometime, I'm in because I did the single yeah. player. But it's more fun with friends. I think. Um, oh, I'd, I'd be down <laughs> and... to play with you, Curtis. That'd be fucking. That'd be blast. Yeah, f- fully destructible environments, and it's it's a great game. So that's on Steam. Um, it, and I watched Bro. Uh, it's called Bro Forest. Bro Forest. <laughs> oh, it's like a Bro super Bro fun co-op game. Yeah, it's fourteen ninety nine. It's so good, Simon. This is a game you would love. I think you would. Oh love yeah, this game. you would be obsessed with this <laughs> yeah. game. Yeah, I'm obsessed with this game. It is um, so good. Oh, it's a side scroller Metro Troy. It's kind of like Metal Slug. It's like it's destructible environments, well, so you yeah, can like blow they, everything up, or it's really fun. It, like uh, what's nice yeah. is it's a lot like Metro in the way that like enemies regenerate. Like you, you destroy them and they're they're gone. So unless there's like some alarm going, they're not coming back. You could blow them. You could blow up the whole map. You know, so uh, it's it's so much fun and endlessly fun, and uh, <laughs> a couple good boss fights too. So I watched uh, uh, Yellow Jackets season two. I'm about halfway through the second season. Love the first season. It's one of my favorite shows on the air right now. It's about a bunch of, uh, uh, it's set in two different timelines. So in the early timeline, the 1990s timeline, it's about, about these high school girls and they're on a uh, soccer team and they get stranded in the Canadian wilderness <laughs> and they resort to tribalism and cannibalism. So kind of like a um, Lord of the Flies kind of set up. What happens to these uh, girls when they're in like, in a society of their own outside of organized society? And uh, it's really well done. I think there might be a supernatural element. I'm not quite sure yet. It's kind of ambiguous. And then the the other timeline is when they're adults and deal with the trauma and there's like cults and oh, it's so much fun. So not quite as strong as the first season, but uh, halfway through the second season, and I love it too. And it, it asks a lot of questions, but it doesn't do the full lost thing where you know they're giving more. Uh, <laughs> um, questions More and answers, which is nice. As it goes on, yeah. It's got, yeah, exactly. It so has it's, one it's of my nice. favorite actresses in it, uh, Melanie. Uh, yeah, so, oh, oh yeah, God. she plays so one of the, uh, the she plays one of the adults. Yeah, she's she's cool. Yeah, she's really yeah. great. But I I thought she was really cool. My favorite is in that I love Christina Ritchie. I think Christina Ritchie is great in everything, and I think she's kind of had a renaissance lately yeah. with you know being in Wednesday, and she really steals the show. She plays the adult version of Misty Quigley, who's this kind of psychopathic nurse character. But you actually she actually really cares about her friends, and she's really awkward. And I actually really like her, and I I think she looks. <laughs> really stunning too like she's just an amazing actress in inside and out and uh um i also really liked uh julia lewis is really good in it too she plays like an adult version of natalie and it's really nice for julia lewis because i feel like i hadn't really seen her after the 90s so it's nice yeah. to see her in more yeah. films and uh, tv shows again and uh i also watched um so i i'm really interested in this story uh it's a story of uh Katia and maurice Kraft, who were two french volcanologists i mentioned it uh, in another documentary i watched earlier this year uh, called the fire of love and it also oh, they yeah. also appeared in uh, Werner Herzog's full-length documentary Into the Inferno. So I watched the Fire Within Requiem for Katja and Maurice Kraft. So yet another. This is probably the third documentary about the story. Wow. This came out this year too. It's Werner Herzog's latest film too. Uh, it's a little bit different than Fire of Love too. So they're kind of interesting companion pieces because they're both about the same thing. They recorded hundreds of hours of volcanic activity, and then they were unfortunately killed in a pyroclastic flow, which is when a volcano erupts and you have this kind of cloud of gas and and uh, debris kind of coming down the mountainside. 
Um, but this is more of a, a lament uh, for their story too, but it's really well done. You know, you kind of get a glimpse of their, their lives, but also like the, how the communities around them were devastated too. So a lot of these communities, you know, the next day they'd wake up, you'd, you'd go to the town and it would look like, you know, Pompeii, like just like Mount, you know, everything was, was just totally done. And a lot of these communities too, they're, you know, in South America and stuff that they can't really afford a lot of infrastructure too. So it, it was really a, uh, really powerful to see a lot of those, those stories. And I think, you know, Werner Herzog is kind of a master filmmaker. So he's really interested in showing a lot of things that you probably haven't seen before or having an interesting angle in on the, on the story. So I thought, I think it was well done. So I, I would say uh, I like this one a little bit more than fire love, but they're good companion pieces, I think. And obviously into the inferno is interesting. If you want to know more about uh, volcanoes. Uh, so definitely all three are worth checking out. And the last thing I, I did was uh <laughs> I uh I played a an adult video game called Treasure of Nadia. It's on Steam, and actually I really like the story for this one too. So I that's why I kind of <laughs> wanted to mention it too. So you're on this island and and you're surrounded by beautiful women and like, but it's actually really cool. Like you you have to go looking for treasure in the jungle, and you can find like talismans. And I'm trying to build a dehumidifier right now. I don't know what that has to do with anything. <laughs> what but, is like, going on in Steam? <laughs> it's 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 really really Sorry, like, ladies, it's I really gotta build cool. a dehumidifier. I'm busy. Yeah yeah. I I went fishing and. I caught like I caught like all the sharks and I I got all the challenges and I I was having so much fun just fishing in this game and it was uh I don't know it's the best like adult game I've ever played <laughs> it's just so good so I had to mention it today so if you're if you're hired up for entertainment or looking for something fun and <laughs> many ways than one more ways than one it's that's a uh, I think it was thirteen dollars on Steam when I I saw it so that's everything I watched this week and I guess cool. now we dive into uh, Legend from nineteen eighty five. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about it. Of course, uh, just to kind of high level. Of course, this uh, this movie, when the production history wise, uh, it was actually Ridley was working on the Duelist, and he was inspired to to actually make this movie. He kind of wanted to um, make originally a planned project on Tristan and Isolde. Um, he had kind of been inspired, of course, as well by like classic fairy tales, Brothers Grimm stuff like that. Um, of course, for in, in the early mid-80s, uh, Ridley Scott for a period of time was actually attached to uh, Dune, which of course he ended up, uh, that 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 fell through, that ended up going to David Lynch. So after that fell through, he then was able to kind of come back to this story. Um, of course, the original screenplay by it um, being um, written by William uh, Hortzberg. Um, I think the script, the script I, I took a little bit of a look at Gander at it. Some of it's a little bit darker um, actually in the script. So there's some changes they made to the movie to be a little bit more kind of mass appealing. Notably the seduction scene, which in the script is like actually like a sex scene involving a lot of licking or whatever. It's very, uh, very strange. It's a little bit more whimsical and, and wholesome in, in, the, in the movie anyways. Um, but yeah, so Scott was kind of interested. Um, he kind of saw the script, decided to kind of work on on the film, of course. Again, taking inspiration by from classic fairy tales, but also um, from more kind of modern film conventional stuff like from Disney. Uh, notably, I think of like the um, the dark sequences in like Fantasia with like the giant like demon. I guess it's supposed to be a uh, Lucifer or whatever emerging. And I think you see a lot of that influence in the design of uh, the Lord of Darkness in this. And of course, the special effects in it, you know, being probably the most like popular part of this to just the beautiful costuming and everyone's so wet and moist. There's so much glitter. <laughs> this is like the most glittery yes. movie I've ever seen. I, I would like, I have this written and down. Bubbles. I can know the glitter. Oh, bubbles, bubbles. Yeah. What is the glitter budget for this movie? I, yeah. I assume they just bought a glitter factory and just uh, did the production outside of a glitter factory because even <laughs> the devil has glitter on his little horn on his little hoofs. Yeah. yeah. 
what we know now about microplastics, you know, very, uh, very tragic. <laughs> I, I know, uh, I know. <laughs> and uh, also a lot of like, uh, like when they're in the, like the beautiful landscapes, we get all the like pollen. I'm like, if you have an allergy, this would be the worst place in the world to be because you just see so much <laughs> pollen flying around. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so Rob, uh, Rob Botten who actually worked on the special effects, a pretty popular special effects uh, crewman who actually had, I think had previously designed the makeup on the Howling. Um, he had also done some work with uh, Ridley Scott on Blade Runner as well, too. Um, and at, at the time, it's kind of pretty popular. He was already contracted to work on, on John Carpenter's The Thing. So I uh, had a pretty great run there. Um, and he, of course, did most of the special effects work. Of course, all the, the beautiful costuming as well, too. Notably, the Lord of Darkness. Good old Tim Curry with his giant demonic uh, self. Um, yeah, and I guess we can kind of, kind of get into it. So I know this movie came up previously. I think, Katie, you were on a podcast with us and had mentioned about legend, how much you love the movie and talked a little yes. bit about that. So, I mean, I, I, we can maybe talk about our experiences with this movie. I've, I've never actually seen legend, although I do recall Tim Curry as Lord of darkness. So I think I have seen it on TV probably at one point when I was a kid, but I, I don't recall ever sitting down and watching this in full, but mm. I know Katie, you've mentioned this is one of your favorites. So what's, what's your experience with this, uh, this movie? So, um, I first saw this when I was very, very young. I think like four or five. I watched it at my grandparents' house. And then because I was a small child, I did what every small child does and demanded to watch it over and over and over again uh, ad nauseum. And my parents were slowly driven insane. Uh, and uh, I loved it. Uh, the version that I grew up with was, of course, the theatrical release, uh, because that's the only one that was available until a few years back, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I loved it. I always loved like the dark fantasy movies growing up, mm -hmm. so Legend labyrinth dark crystal <laughs> yeah, yeah dark dark crystal is a big one and then i mean not so it's not so much dark fantasy but i really liked willow and i just you know like that uh genre Aesthetic. of movies yeah and yeah so i just adored the movie growing up and i realize i mean when i do look at it critically i'm not so far in denial that i don't see that there are issues with it it has its issues for sure uh, but it's just such a happy movie for me. So that's mm -hmm. it. <laughs> just an, it's an experience when you watch it, isn't it? You know, you kind of have to like suspend the, the critical reviewer a little bit when you watch it, I think. <laughs> yeah. And when, when you're a child, like I was, when I first saw it, uh, you, you don't really look at it through that critical lens. You're just like, Ooh, unicorns. Ooh, guy <laughs> with big horns. Oh my God. Sparkles. Ooh, fairies. So like that doesn't bother you. Um, at all. So I think that I kind of held on to that. I mean, and now that when I look at it, like there are issues, but I don't care. I still love it. <laughs> do, do we know what the difference is between the theatrical and the director's cut? I watched the director's cut last night and I didn't see much of a difference. I did notice that they cut out quite a bit of the hag scene. Um, yes. And which is my favorite scene in the movie. And I was really disappointed. But beyond that, I, I don't know. I, I didn't see any extra bits that, that came out to me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there, there's, there are like it's snippets of dialogue mostly. Okay. Um, there's actually a, quite and... a few, quite a few meta changes. I think this is one of the movies that we talked about that's probably 
if you're looking whether it's the international cut, of course now the director's cut or yeah. the theatrical cut, like Katie was referring to, they're they're actually quite quite a numerous amount of differences. The biggest being the score. I also yeah. watched the director's cut, which is kind of like the international cut with a little bit of kind of the American cut added in um, for kind of like some of the really good scenes. The American cut they kind of added that in, uh, but the score is a big difference. Like I, of course. If you watch the theatrical cut, it's Tangerine Dream doing the score. It's very synthy, very kind of more, um, using more like electronic kind of instruments um, versus the Jerry Goldsmith score, which is very beautiful, very instrumental. Um, it also, it, I, I, I watched a few scenes kind of back back and forth. I think I watched like the dance scene with the dress and it's like yeah. with a Tangerine Dream score, it's so synthy, it's so like poppy almost. And then you watch it with the Jerry Smith score and it's kind of like a waltzy kind of tonu and it's it's it, it definitely adds a bit of a difference and actually the history behind that's kind of cool too because um jerry goldsmith of course had done the score for alien and kind of had a really shitty experience working with ridley scott because like he did the score <laughs> for alien and then ridley came in after and like changed up the order of the music edited some of it so a lot of the stuff and i think like the credit score was supposed to be jerry goldsmith and it got changed like there was a bunch of changes made that he wasn't happy about but um he did get hired to work with ridley on this film and did a full score and actually spent like a lot of time on it i think it was like a six, six month project he actually started working on it like pre-production so i think the the waltz sequence where they're dancing was originally filmed silently and then he actually wrote the music to fit that scene so um some of the work had been done while the movie was actually being made to kind of fit the mood of the movie better um but uh when it was first test test screened american audiences were like uh not not kind of mid they did, they weren't the, the most happy about the movie and of course to to go cheap on it they decided to change the score for the united states going with tangerine dream so i think for a lot of viewers the tangerine dream score is what people grew up with or what they saw and uh it's it's a good score though i gotta say i really like it it's a, but it's 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 odd to watch it after if you've watched one or the other i think but it makes yeah. for a, a kind of a new ex viewing experience at the very least i um, adore I had, sorry. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, so I, I adore the Tangerine Dream score. Like, obviously, that's the one I grew up with. But when I, I watched them both, and I, I find value in both because, uh, as John says, like the score is a major difference and it changes the feel of the movie. But to me, like, the aesthetic of the film, it's so 80s and mm -hmm. glitter everywhere and freaking. <laughs> bubbles yeah let's just throw some bubbles in like I, I just feel like that fits better with tangerine dream like it's not really a classical fairy tale in my mind so yeah i don't know i to me the tangerine dream score and legend go together very well and i love the score and i listen to it sometimes just for fun <laughs> but yes Quinn and Simon, did you guys watch this one growing up? Because I actually watched it much later. I was obsessed with Tim Curry, and I uh, just <laughs> I thought I had to watch him as Darkness, you know? Like So <laughs> did you guys watch it growing up? No, this was the first time uh, I've ever watched this movie, and uh, holy shit. Um, you know, like Katie said, there there is the odd issue here and there, but like just visually, holy shit, like my... <laughs> the more i see of ridley scott and i must admit I, I i haven't seen all of his movies like i i mean thankfully for the watch series i will but um you know blade runner <clears throat> blade runner is one of my favorite movies but like like the cinematography in this and just like the the, the characters like blicks and all this stuff dude th th this movie was fucking wild like 
<laughs> and, and like just a, a visual masterpiece. It really was yeah. like I found the dialogue to be a little bit like, you know, a little bit much at sometimes. But like, man, uh, th- this was just a, yeah. a, a I, 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 I my notes here. I've got it that everything's very claustrophobic. Um, even like every time you're in the woods, you're always like it's all it's always framed by like two big trees, or there's something in front of you, or it's a low angle. And I, I think he did that because 95% of the movie is shot in a studio, yeah. <laughs> on a studio lot, but you do have some scenes in a real forest. So he yes. he 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 intentionally gave it this claustrophobic feel, and it works because it makes it feel like a you're in kind of a small world. Um, yeah. Something I noticed. Yeah, and it was shot in studio. Actually, there had been some troubles uh, during the early production. I think there was a studio fire that burned down the most of the original set, so they had to, like, re rebuild a lot of it. So the, the production behind the film was a little bit fraught. Um, so as a result, uh, some of the – there's some parts of the movie that feel a little bit kind of – uh, ad hoc or like they don't the, they don't mesh very well and actually like i was watching some comparisons between the theatrical and the international like the the theatrical cut makes a few differences that i think kind of um uh make things awkward like there's a scene uh where um i think tom cruise is like m- making out with mia mia sara and she like shows the pendant but like the international cut gives this like big spiel that she's giving to him so it makes sense when she holds it up but in the american cut she just kind of does it he's like the lights like shining yeah. on him. It looks it's so weird. Like it's a weird scene, but like if you watch the the international cut, it actually adds in some layering uh, dialogue. The international cut also has a different opener. Like it starts off, and this is in the director's cut too. It starts off where we don't see the Lord of Darkness. We just see like behind him, kind of talking to his minion. It's like, how should I please you? Whatever you know, little guy. <laughs> and then in the uh, I didn't realize this, but I was I was watching on YouTube. The American cut opens where you do see the lord of darkness he's in like black with like glow in the dark paint <laughs> eyes or whatever it's so yeah. weird looking but you actually do see tim curry full on um so if you're watching the international or, or director's cut you don't see tim curry actually in the full until like near the end of the movie like a good hour and a bit in and I, that was oh, what no, i was I the wa- most surprised by i was like hey I, I where watched, is this guy like, no, I, I watched the director's it. cut last night and i saw tim curry in the beginning with the, the glow in the dark eyes oh interesting i don't know so, maybe it was uh I don't know. Maybe you get your. I, I don't. I don't know anything else beyond that. <laughs> but it, that that wasn't the director's cut. So oh, okay. maybe maybe it's not in the theatrical. Cut. Well, I don't I, know what's going on. I know that they there's a director's cut, but I think that various other versions have been released. Like there's like mm-hmm. the ultimate edition and whatnot. So it's. I think it's one of those things where there are a bunch of editions. Yeah, Flying there's like three around. different endings to this movie. There's like, yeah, the, there's like the one where they both run off into the forest. There's like the it was just a dream ending. There's like the one where, well, the internet. I think the director's cut's really nice. I think it's it might be also the same in the international cut, but you know she wakes up and it's like kind of makes it seem like it's almost like a dream. And she's like, you know what? Let's just be friends. You know, I've had I've had my fun. You know, I gotta go back to my kingdom. <laughs> and he's kind of like, all right, I'll wait for you, which makes sense in the movie because he's like this man of the woods character like a jack of jack of the green he's kind of this like forest entity that like um it, it's actually supposed to be that he's actually immortal it's not really clear in the in the movie i think in one of the there's a deleted scene where he gets stabbed by the lord of darkness with the unicorn horn and like he doesn't die which yeah. tells you that he's immortal but otherwise he wouldn't know but um it's i actually think that, that ending's quite quite nice i was like oh it's a beautiful ending it's like they go their own ways but um 
Yeah, so the, of course the movie is about, of course, this uh, princess Lily, or I think in the theatrical cut, she's not a princess. She's just like a a lady of she's status. A lady, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. a lady, mm. just 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 a lady. Uh, she uh, is frolicking in the woods with uh, baby Tom Cruise pre Top Gun. I think this came out like a year before Top Gun, so this is like right on yeah. the cusp of Tom Cruise. Weird to think that Tom Cruise worked with Ridley Scott before he played in Top Gun. I mean, T- Tom Cruise had such an interesting career. I mean, now he he's kind of his own machine in Hollywood, but. You know, he worked, he used to work with actual directors, which is weird to think of nowadays. But uh, yeah, so Tom Cruise is in it playing the lovely Jack of the Woods and they're frolicking and they're they're in love. And uh, we see some stuff that happens. Um, doesn't Lily kind of doesn't come off very strongly in the beginning of the movie because she wants to like see the unicorns. And we find out, of course, at the same time, this uh, I guess the goblins are trying to uh guess capture the unicorn horn or chop it off so that they can use it Uh, i kind of zone out a bit but i guess they want to use kind of the power of the horn to sort of take over the land and kind of turn the light into dark there's this constant kind of motif of light versus dark and the idea of lily being like pure and innocent and contrasting with everything else in the world um and it kind of follows into the tropes of kind of classic myths as well too like tristan he's old but also i think the story of like persephone's in it as well too with like i got adam and eve's kind of story out of it yeah the unicorn was like the forbidden fruit. And yeah, it's true. Yeah, everything got fucked up, and yeah, because Jack's yeah. like, "Don't I do did... it," pleading to her, and she's like, "I'm gonna do it." <laughs> it's like, all right, it did, it did remind me a lot of aspects. I get me maybe it's the aesthetic too, of, and at that time period, like Katie said, with the dark fantasy. But it a lot of it did remind me of the Dark Crystal, just kind of the allegories and that sort of thing too. Yeah. This was such a huge period for, like, I guess, the fantasy, dark fantasy, because he had, like, yeah, like, course, uh, too, yeah, and even, even kind of mythical, like, fantasy. Like, uh, you talked about Excalibur recently, and I think that came out in the early 80s. Like, that, that whole run of like Dark Crystal, Excalibur, Willow, of course, like, mm-hmm. the 80s was really like a prime period for these types of films. And, well, the golden you know, kind age. of went away a bit, uh, yeah, the golden age, it kind of went away a bit, I guess, a little bit in the 90s, uh, for whatever reason. I, I think maybe this film, unfortunately, might have been a kind of a reason for that because, um, theatrically didn't gross very well it actually didn't do so well box office wise um neither internationally nor domestically in the united states it, it was a bit of a not a total bomb but it definitely was a bit of a um went under standards of what people thought and, and again i guess when they test screened it because there had been so many reshoots and cuts like um it didn't um initially appeal to a lot of audiences and so they made a lot of cuts to make it a little bit more actiony a little bit more like even i think some of the scenes with tom cruise in it like notably we were talking about meg mucklebones the like sea yeah. bag that pops out of the water he's um the best part of the, the movie. director's cut you know he's like you know what like yeah, you're great. so beautiful like i i don't want to mess with you and he like shows her like the mirror and in the american cut it's like a one minute scene she pops out and he's like rah cuts her and i'm like that's a yeah. it's pretty quick yeah so it, it makes him a little bit more um, actiony, and actually, some of the scenes where um, I think in the American cut, he like right away goes after her to kind of save her. But in the uh, international cut or the director's cut, it's a little bit more. Um, um, it doesn't make him as brave. He feels like they're both more kind. Of, both characters are kind of innocent and kind of a little bit out of their element. So I, I think it almost kind of works a little bit better that way because it feels a little bit more like a fairy tale um, in a sense. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest point of this for me was just the. The, the the visuals as as Quinn said like there's so much of the mise en scene in the the shots of the forest like there's so much like pollen and the trees and and it has that kind of I don't even know what the what they call lighting it's not like 
bloom bloom lighting weird thing but it reminded me of the, the dream sequence in happy gilmore just because i watched that movie not long ago like, <laughs> it's all like overlit and like the unicorn shines so brightly like it has that kind of bloom lighting um, yeah you know every shot is like packed with stuff to see like when yeah. you're in the dungeons beneath is like skulls and there's all there's everything it's it, it, there's not a lame moment on screen yeah and uh even all the characters have these like odd ways of talking like the um the goblins of course are all screechy and kind of like yes they have that kind of affect to them and uh there's also what is it the the little the kid the honey thorn gump Gump, who's like the little wood the wood critter he's great he's like yeah and like he has a kind of odd affect of talking yeah so actually he was adr'd too yeah well well, here's a fun fact about that. So the main goblin, Blix, was played by the actress Alex Playton. Uh, so she did a great job. That that was her voice. Um, she sadly passed away in 2011. She dubbed Gump. She's doing Gump's voice because the actor, uh, David Bennett, uh, is Swiss. And he you might know him from the Tin Drum. You've seen that. That's him. Okay. And he had a very, his very thick swiss german accent so they were like no so she alex Platon dubbed gump but in the german version david bennett is voicing gump and is dubbing over alice Platon as Blitz. oh so that's, that's so yeah <laughs> yeah so that's like a fun piece of movie trivia that i can impart I, the legend heads are watching all the cuts. They're watching the German dub. They're watching the, the yeah. director's yeah. cut. Yeah, I mean, I, I love, I love, I love this movie. You guys, like, I, I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> I only kind of wish that, like, I, I watched it. I, I was watching a copy online. I wish, like, from what I've, I can tell, this just got recently, like, an arrow, an arrow release, but not, not in 4K. Like, this desperately needs like a 4K like restoration because oh, yeah. like, it looks beautiful, yeah. but at the same time, it's a little bit fuzzy. And I was like, this would look so That's, beautiful. I thought it looked a little fuzzy too. Yeah, like I want to see like a, a new modern theatrical run in 4K, like with oh, I don't know, just it would look so beautiful, like beautiful 4K widescreen. Uh, but yeah, it's there's just so much stuff going on. It's very wet. I love a good wet movie, and this movie's got so many characters who are just moist <laughs> yeah. and sweaty. Mo- and moist movie. I was Tom gonna say it's a moist movie. <laughs> diving in the water, and it's um or when they get to like the dungeon and it's like he's getting put into this the pie or whatever and it's yeah. like there's just so <laughs> it's pretty um it's pretty dark um you know I, I think i love these kind of movies where like if you're a kid they can kind of come off as a little bit you know terrifying or scary a lot of kids who grow up with these kind of movies these are almost a little bit it's of like, like trauma first, yeah these are like their first oh, foray yeah. into horror I mean, a little bit like, like some, the, some children this is what they watch before they get into you know the proper yeah. horror films uh yeah the, you know, those ogres are stuff. like like beating on people in the torture chamber and stuff and i was watching that last night i'm like wow they're really chopping up this guy yeah it was pretty dark for kids yeah. like that we need more of that less yeah. scary and more legend more yeah yeah and uh of course tim curry playing lord of darkness who's i mean the god the the design of him is amazing and his voice he has that kind of like layered demonic voice going on um it makes him sound so menacing um and i, I mean i think it works kind of better in the in the cut where you don't see him proper till that scene with the kind of the seduction scene um and it's a really kind of great great moment in the film too like um I think for a lot of people, that's like one of their favorite scenes is like the little, the dancing. And of course, where he's like later where he's like, please sit. I want you to sit. You know, she's just like, I will not sit. And like kind of talks back to him. And um, so a little great dramatic moment too, because you also don't really fully know if she's going to like betray him or not, or if she's actually going to, you know, kill the unicorn. 
um and you know great effects on her too with the, the you know the, the dress and the the black makeup uh very very kind of twisted looking again almost reminded me a lot of like maleficent very kind of classical disney kind of makeup and effects it kind of looks a little bit like that to me yeah um, for for me that that whole part in the middle brings the movie to a screeching halt and like i like the first two acts of the movie i'm like oh, i love this movie i love this movie i love this movie this is perfect movie and then that happens and i'm like oh this sucks i feel like i feel like the i feel like big d needed more to do other than yeah and he's kind of a bitch like he's always asking his parents for help and stuff like (laughs) figure it out dude you're the prince of darkness i thought he was gonna be more of the focus of the movie and he's kind of yeah he doesn't do a whole lot and he's kind of like he doesn't do it he pawns off all the work to his uh all the hard labor to his minions that's the greatest detriment of the movie is that the villain really he looks awesome, but he doesn't do anything. Yeah, I don't think the action yeah. shot all that well either. The editing's kind of a little bit weird when they're doing the sword fighting, like especially oh, yeah, yeah. right from the duelist. The duelist is phenomenal. The ADR, the sound effects, and the duelist are incredible. And then you watch this, and the fighting's a little bit to, for me, anyways. I found it a little bit less engaging. And I the ADR also there's I found the ADR at that kind of ending climax a little bit odd too. Like there's a part where Tom Cruise yells out, and it sounds like he like recorded it in like a gymnasium. Like it sounds so sure. like. Yeah, and odd. yeah but it's uh, it's a it's pretty fun though it's pretty uh well, pretty exciting it, it, but it works for like the goblins and stuff i especially mm. like blex and he's like yes goblins are very outspoken i like to encourage their initiative yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what <laughs> a good <laughs> boss some of this stuff comes out and it kind of pulls you out of the movie like yeah it's gonna be barbecue and they're like barbecue they're using words that you wouldn't find in a fairy tale or yeah. like with like yeah. uh uh when what's his face gets the fairy who's pretending to be a goblin when he's like adios amigos yes <laughs> yeah yes. it's like oh okay well yeah. fine uh, <laughs> you know, i thought that was the, i thought the actor was deep roy it's not deep roy he looks like deep roy if you guys know who deep roy is yep yeah yeah, he he looked just like him. I'm like, that's too young to be deep right, but it wasn't. It's, Ki- it's Kieran Shaw. Yes. And exactly. he was actually Elijah mm. Wood's stunt double in Lord of the Rings. Oh, oh really? really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That checks so, out. So cool. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Lord of the Rings because I think you know it's an adaptation of the of the of the books, but like has a little bit of that Peter Jackson kind of goofball quality when you rewatch it. I think if yeah. you haven't watched it in a while, you forget about that. Like you know, meats back on the menu, boys. Like that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. And like I'm or like Leg- Legolas like skateboarding down the like. It's got like that like Peter like '90s Peter Jackson kind of goofy. yeah. Well, like, like you get when, a little bit of that with this. It's like when the, the little dwarf a bit, guys a bit silly fighting the goblins and he's deflecting all the arrows with his pan. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, then, that's, yeah. that's very Peter Jackson-y. Uh, yeah. my, my last little note here is, uh, so the, the sprite that turns into a little girl and Jack is like, oh, I got to kiss you. And he's like, chick, you're total jailbait. You're barely 13. I ain't touching that. Like, yeah, Jack's immortal <laughs> too. So he's like a thousand and one years old. So, you know, no, no, more no, problematic. no you're, you're total jailbait. I ain't kissing you. Also, she's just like, don't worry, Jack, I'm a her now. I'm like, that's getting kind of weird. She's like taking over, <laughs> pretending to be the other girl. Right? She just really, really wanted Jack to kiss her, you know, and he just wouldn't give it yeah. to her, unfortunately. You know, he turns just, into uh, a boy. Jack's yeah. still like, no. I love Una. It reminded me of like Legend of Zelda with like the little like, uh, hey, listen, like Navi, the little like creature, like flo- little orb that floats around. Um, again, also a you know bit of not a Disney with like Tinkerbell. It's sort of pretty much the same kind of affect as well too when she turns into oh, her kind of spirit or right. sprite form or whatever. Um, yeah, really, really, really fun overall. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so this movie, of course, like I would say if you're watching it, um, yeah, you, it'd be worth actually checking out watching the different cuts because I think more than most of the movies we've talked about on this, um, maybe the only other exception really that we've talked to date is the last Ridley Scott movie, Blade Runner, which again also had like wildly different international versus domestic release. And then of course, myriad of director's cuts and stuff. So um, I, I would say definitely worth checking out both cuts if you can. Um, maybe good to watch the American cut um, because it's shorter. I think the American cut's like what ninety minutes long or something. It's a fairly yeah, it's pretty yeah, short. yeah. The, the one the one I watched the two hours. Yeah, the director's cut's like the one I watched was like two hours and like forty minutes. It's a it's a, it was a long film. Um, so there's a lot more stuff added in. Um, but I think it's definitely worth watching both of them. Um, especially you know for all the differences in the score as well too. Um, I, I kind of expected that. Oh, I was gonna just love the, the director's cut, and when I saw the kind of comparisons think it was just way better but i do think the american cuts do do some good stuff like it makes it a little bit more actiony the as you mentioned the tangerine dream score works really well for kind of that like uh 80s fantasy kind of aesthetic has a kind of like vapor wave i don't know quality to it it adds a little bit to it uh with the, all the visual effects um that kind of dreamy feel to it um i think it works it works quite well um yeah. And anything else you guys want to mention about the film? Um, I, I know uh, I was kind of fun reading some of the reviews, like uh, our good old friends, uh, you know, Siskel and Eber Jean, Siskel, like, Roger, hated yeah. <laughs> See, Siskel hated this movie. He like put it on his worst of 1986 list. Wasn't a fan. Which doesn't, which makes sense because Gene Siskel's a total fucking hack. So I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> yeah. More positive uh, reviews, especially in the years to follow. Like, uh, of course, we all know and love Neil Gaiman, um, who wrote a review of Legend in in a fantasy magazine, and he said like he talked about like how um, you know there's a lot of like, glimmers of intelligence in the script, um, and that's you know it actually did some good stuff in terms of the realm of fantasy, the idea of like fairies as being like you know capricious and and creatures and willful and um, kind of understanding like the the logic the psychology of kind of these like fantasy creatures really well um he said you know he'll probably make a very fairly good novel out of it but if you go and see the film don't say it didn't warn you so um the film isn't without its detractors but i, I found it as we said like visually really fun there's just so much stuff going on yeah and it's I, really I interesting me... to come from blade runner to this like blade runner's cold dystopian still very mise-en-scene like, that a lot kind of, of it, mysticism visual... and dreaminess you but... look at that visuality too like i think yeah. really scott's a director he always has an eye for cinematography too and even if you look at the costume the, the design you know like what tim curry spending what five hours a day or seven hours a day in the makeup chair just to get that horn on his horns on Jeez, his head yeah. yeah it's probably a heavy Darkness, horn too yeah. it looks pretty like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, also quick, quick thing to note uh, for Jack, of course, Tom Cruise was casted, but they also took a look at other folks like uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Johnny Depp, and also Jim Carrey. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> so kind of interesting, possibly, you know, what if on on those on the, that front. Of course, uh, Tim Curry was casted because uh, uh, Scott, really Scott actually just watched um, a Rocky Horror Picture Show, and so he thought, you know, it'd be perfect role for him. And I think like... Watching it again, like I mean, Tim Curry is so watchable, and he's so he had such a dramatic, like Shakespearean layer so to some of these characters. Yeah, yeah he, he really understands the, the the assignment to put it that way, and like whether it's this or Rocky Horror or you know playing Pennywise, like he always has this like really colorful makeup, like kind of villainous role, and it it, it really sells the the pictures he's in. Like it's so fun to watch. So I guess um, if there's nothing else really to add, I think maybe we can move on to uh, I guess giving our like final thoughts and our. In our scores so i guess uh katie this is like one of your goats canon films you know this is brinkley highly so what, what did you give it 
I mean, of course, I'd have to give it a five out of five, but I do have to add that I am completely biased as well. <laughs> but uh, yes, I adore it. Cool. <laughs> cool. Curtis, how about you? Um, so I, I was a little bit uh, pretty rough with it, actually. I mean, there's a lot of scenes that I really like. I love the scenes with, um, especially the scenes with Darkness, too, and Meg. But um, I don't know. For me, it kind of felt like an uneven cake. Like, there was parts I really liked. I love the visual aesthetic, too. I'm a big fan of a lot of that kind of 80s kind of swords and sorcery and magic stuff. Um, I think for me, though, you know, I liked, like, Labyrinth, too. But I think I enjoyed the uh, Dark Crystal Netflix uh, prequel series even more than the original uh, run so yeah for me i mean there were scenes that were really great and there were scenes that as simon mentioned that weren't so great and it felt a little bit uneven for me so three out of five for me what about you uh quinn yeah so i'll be honest like uh fantasy movies uh they're sort of i don't know they're kind of hit like i don't know it, it's weird i know we mentioned before like dark crystal i do like that movie labyrinth i do love willow i grew up watching willow and uh, yeah, some fantasy movies, they they have a hard time grasping me, I find. Um, but uh, I have to say, this one got me like visually stunning. I love the acting. I thought the makeup was awesome. I thought Blix was super cool. I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise guy, but I thought he was great in this. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, the lighting, the, the camera work, the directing, um, the art of everything. I just, I thought it was a visual masterpiece and I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I watched the director's cut. Uh, I wouldn't mind checking out the theatrical version, but like John said before, it'd be nice to see this, um, you know, in a, in a 4K restoration. Uh, but uh, overall, I, I thought it did have flaws, but like uh, just the, the coloring and lighting and everything sort of bumped up my score. So I gave it a four to five. Uh, definitely looking forward to to watching this one again. Um, like I said, maybe the theatrical cut, but uh yeah, four out of five for me. What about uh, what about you, John? Yeah, like I, I watched the director's cut. Um, I'm kind of happy I did to some degree because I think the director's cut. I think the I think the Jerry Goldsmith score to me is it's incredible. Like it's a really great kind of classical kind of fairy tale. You know, very kind of Disney inspired as well to score. I think it works really well for the mood of the film. Gives it this kind of dreamy uh, quality in the beginning, very kind of dreamy and romantic, and then things get more twisted as it goes along. Um, I, I do think the visuals do a lot of heavy lifting. There's so much beautiful um, set design. Uh, the fact that a lot of it, again, is shot in studio. It looks incredible. Um, it, ha- it captures the mood of the kind of fantasy setting so well. Everything's so smoky and there's so much debris, pollen bubbles. You have it. There's so much stuff on the screen. Um, it's a real visual feast. Um, the dive on the dialogue, some of the dialogue is just kind of maddening. I, I was kind of really, <laughs> I had found it hard to follow at times. And like some of the interactions felt just so weird. Like if I had read, read it in the script, it, it, it sounds a lot more awkward, but, um, if you can get past that, I, I think the film visually is really, really beautiful, really fun, great prop work as well too. Um, and I, I think it, though, I will say if you watch the American cut, I think it probably makes the story a little bit kind of easier to follow. It definitely shortens it a bit. Um, so I think you're probably getting less kind of mood, less uh, some kind of additional scenes that help kind of the the mood of the film grow, but you're getting kind of a punchier story at the very least. So um, I would be kind of actually interested to check out both. Uh, well, the, I already watched Director's Cut. I'd be interested to check out uh, the American and international cuts, the original theatrical cuts. But um, yeah, I gave it four to five. I think it's it's a uh, it's it's the visuals do a lot of heavy lifting. 
and uh reminded me a little bit of Blade Runner where like I was kind of getting zoned out a bit and with Blade Runner my takeaway was I kind of want to rewatch this because I think I would and I could follow the story and the dialogue a bit better not getting so overwhelmed by the visual kind of awe of it I would like to rewatch this one as well too because I think I'd, I'd kind of connect with it a bit better so I'm gonna give it a four out of five though so how, how about you Simon uh yeah so i liked it for all the reasons everybody else i'm not gonna repeat it but uh it takes takes a big hit for me when it's the third act to slow the slow down the the, the quote-unquote romance um and also the, the big bad guy doesn't have much to do yeah he looks awesome but uh in the end he, he just really isn't that much fun to have in the movie as a bad guy he looks great though anyways uh four out of five Cool. So overall, four to five overall. So pretty good. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out, of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't, at least here in Canada, I didn't, I didn't find it streaming anywhere. I had a copy on my uh, Plex server, but um, you can, of course, you know, buy it physically, support your local stores that are still around. I'm sure you can, and you can probably find it online elsewhere. Um, again, it just got like a recent release through Arrow video and they do great stuff. So I think it's probably got um, all the bells and whistles. I think the more recent releases have like director's cut and like all the other cuts as well too so if you get it yeah. that way you can probably watch all the different versions of it if you'd like or or uh check out if you go on youtube you can also watch and compare uh, some of the cuts as well too um unlike a lot of films that like they say this is the unrated version there's like 10 minutes of extra footage you're like okay cool uh, this is actually a, a case where you're getting wildly kind of different stuff films and, and stuff with with the different cuts so definitely worth checking it out that way um but yeah really fun movie um I, I think next up on the Ridley Scott watch series I, I think we're doing Black Rain I think I, I'm getting all mixed up now but that's on that's coming up soon uh we're working our way through that um I think Curtis you have a uh, one of your canon choices coming yeah up. Rolling Thunder episode, one of, uh, yeah. yeah one of Tarantino's favorite ones so a nice 70s uh Grindhouse Midnight Grindhouse film so hopefully we'll have a lot of fun with that next like week William and William Devine yeah, yeah, it's like a Vietnam War. He comes back yeah. from Vietnam and, and he loses uh, his guy's trying to take his money. Yeah, he loses his hand and he teams oh, up with really, young, young Tommy Lee movie. Jones and they yep. go to Mexico and shoot up some, ba- some, yep. some bad guys. Tommy Lee Jones says anything in that movie. We're, we're going from fantasy, dark fantasy to like shoot him up, grindhouse. Uh, it's like 11, yeah, 11 of the grindhouse. Movie. We're capturing all the different genres it's a great here. Movie. <laughs> yeah, so we, we got that coming up as well, too. Um, yeah, so stay tuned. Uh, I guess uh, we can probably slide into concluding. So I guess, Curtis, anything you want to uh, plug or mention uh, on your end? Uh, not really. My my brother updated my website. So I have uh, my new book out uh, if anyone's yeah, interested. Uh, also, uh, yeah, so that's that's on curtisrunstudler.ca. And otherwise, uh, not too much. As I mentioned last time, I have a new book chapter coming out on uh, Stephen King and vampires to kind of inspired by our podcast. So uh, that'll come out hopefully later this year. Cool, cool. How about you, uh, Quinn? Anything you want to mention? Uh, no, I don't think so. I do want to congratulate Curtis, though. That's a big thing. Oh, I'm, thanks, I'm, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, congrats. I yeah, have it's, a chance to, to read it, unfortunately, but I know oh, you said... Oh, that's all right. It's, it's nice to, to have it in the flesh, so <laughs> nice that all hard work paid off, and I hope people read it, and I hope people like it, and maybe I'll get a few citations, maybe, too, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. You should stand in, like, the academic bookstores and be like, hmm, hmm. Oh, hey there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just admiring my book. Hey there. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> How about uh, Simon? Anything you want to mention or plug? Um, no, not today. Uh, Katie? No, nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> boring. 
Cool. All right. Well, then, in that case, folks, we'll uh, we'll catch y'all again next week. So, thank you very much again, Simon, Katie. Really great having you guys joining oh, us. Thanks on. for having me. Appreciate hey, it. Always welcome back, and and you and to my other fellow co-hosts as well too. So, folks, we'll see you all again next week. Take care, everyone. See you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Twice.